Hello and good day, eh? Welcome to the Super Good Camping Podcast. My name is Pamela. I'm Tim. We are from supergoodcamping.com. We are here because we're on a mission to inspire other families to get out and enjoy camping adventures, such as we have with our kids. Today's guest loves all things camping, especially backcountry, whether it's winter camping at Mew Lake in Algonquin Park or some peaceful paddling in the Killarney backcountry. He's out there often and out there in our sense is not such a bad thing. <laughs> He's often hanging with the cool kids too, like Martin Pine, Kevin Callan, and Sean Rowley and the like. He was a teacher in a previous life and has also done a bit of public speaking. He's mostly known as the organizer of the Ontario Winter Camping Symposium and the Ontario Backcountry Canoe Symposium. Please welcome David Bain. Yay, welcome. Thank you very much. I wanted to say Dr. David Bain, but it's not. It's, you it's can. Not no, go right ahead. Go right ahead. We'll give you an honor, honor honorary honor. degree. I think it was See? David Banner is who I was thinking no, of, like the, the, the Hulk. Hulk. <laughs> He's got a green hat, not green face. Right? Yeah, that's true. Let's not make him angry, though. You don't know. Well, okay, cool. <laughs> so, so for the record, the the intro there had had air quotes around winter camping in Mew Lake because you had an experience recently. Wow. Yeah, baby. <laughs> how was yeah. how fun was that? Well, I'll tell you, as everybody knows, uh, I a little background. I got into winter camping late in life. I got into canoeing late in life. I started canoeing when I was about 30 and I started winter camping uh, five years ago or so. And the last five years, if you think back, we've had a maybe two decent winters. One of them, the snow came in November and stayed uh, in Southern Ontario. That was pretty pretty good. I don't recall if that was 2018. It was certainly pre, pre-COVID. But we've had some just nasty freeze-thaw cycles. We'll get snow. It'll rain. My buddy Martin Pine and I have scheduled I've lost count. Four trips that we've canceled because of just the disastrous changes in weather. So I've learned two things. Number one, if you don't go, inevitably the weather turns out to be better than you thought it would. <laughs> and uh, number two, you don't trust weather apps. So I looked at the Algonquin Park. Well, originally we we're going to, uh, Susan and I, my partner, were going to McGregor Point. And that being further south than Algonquin, forecast, you know, highs of 10, almost an inch of rain, uh, you know, and so I thought, okay, I'll look further north. And uh, people continue, especially people who live in the north, say Algonquin is in southern Ontario, it's not north. And it sure proved that this time. We, uh, you know, optimistically, the highs were only supposed to be around six and some drizzle we thought we could handle it we got there unplowed site so you couldn't see where the dips and dives were set up and everything continued to melt we we had a couple of nice evenings but on the second evening i stepped on one of our foam puzzle piece sections in the hot tent and the water started coming up through and i realized we had a lake forming and went outside and there was on one side of the tent was like four inches of water on the sod cloth and so um you know we finally decided to call it a call it a day so we left new year's eve in the morning and and you know discretion was the better part of valor but you know it 
it's becoming the new normal. You either have to head a lot further north. My friend Dave Hadfield just continually says, get north of Sudbury. And he's right. Or you just got to figure out a way to waterproof the floor of your tent. We, we thought we had it. Had a whole tarp system with a, sort of a bathtub going on, but somehow it leaked and uh, in came the water and yeah, the rest is history. So <laughs> we we had an interesting time, but it, you know, good times always had by all. We we ate some good food and, and played some games and went for a couple of walks, but I mean, it was hard to walk uh, in the slush and the, and the melting snow and, and things were challenging. So uh, I know people who were at Mew Lake, uh, they always enjoy themselves, but uh, everybody was hoping for minus 10. You know, minus 10 is a good, it's a good daytime high for winter camping. Everything's nice and dry and frozen solid and, and you can walk everywhere and get some snowshoeing in and yeah, it would have been nice. But next year, yeah, yeah. things will work out. Well, I know Dennis from Canoe Hound Adventures said, you know, the the trips you remember the best are the ones that didn't go. The way they yeah, <laughs> type, so, it's that old type one, type two, type three fun, right? So this was type two big time. It was, uh, you know, you, you you think of, I mean, type one, everything goes great and everybody, you know, and you, as you said, it's not memorable. Type two, you don't want to do type three, you know, that's extreme. <laughs> but type two, yeah, you know, you'll talk about that trip for 10 years now, you know, I remember the time we went New Year's Eve and we got flooded out. I mean, that's, uh, and we, we had great envy for the people who were in uh, the trailers, you know, they pulled in the fifth wheels and the 30 foot travel trailers, and they're sitting up watching Hockey Night in Canada and stuff. And, you know, we were, we were swimming, but yes. oh well, <laughs> such is life. But did, uh, Oh, somebody! I want to, I want to attribute it to Sean Rowley, but I'm not positive. But but uh, a river runs through it. Was a oh, yeah. <laughs> big time, big time. We we I don't believe in digging channels around your tent. I know it used to be a thing back in the day when you had no floor. But I chiseled channels in the in the ice that was around the tent, and we truly had rivers. There was no doubt about it. It was fast flowing, and and uh, yeah, things oh, were there's... really wet. <laughs> really well yeah yeah well pretty much everybody in in the facebook groups that, in the facebook groups that we follow at pretty much everybody that was up there was posting just just like oh my god what a, i've never i've never seen anything like this before yeah it's it's splash is the word of the day yes um, okay cool <laughs> there's one you'll remember anyhow oh um, big time question for you so so I, I did notice in in doing some of the research that that you were a teacher because I, I saw an article that Kevin Callen posted where he had come and does a, done a presentation in your classroom mm-hmm. what you used to teach so I uh was an elementary school teacher grade seven and eight for 30 years so when you're an elementary school teacher you're a generalist I mean I I loved and and sort of specialized in English and Canadian history if I got one or both of those every year, I was a happy camper. But I mean, I taught, you know, like everybody else, uh, you teach science, you teach, you know, one year I covered a little bit of kindergarten. I mean, it was, you know, you do what they ask you to do and, and you hope I taught music one year, you know, it, but Canadian history was my thing. Uh, I've always had a love of Canadian history. And uh, so grade seven is uh, right up you know, right in my wheelhouse. I mean, it's Voyagers, it's uh, New France, it's uh, the Seven Years' War, War of 1812. I mean, it's, you know, all the things I 
I love to talk about. So uh, it, it uh, fit really well with uh, my interests outside of school. And, you know, I used to, I formed a club, called it the Voyager Club, took kids camping and canoeing back when you could legally still do that before <laughs> liability things set in. And uh, uh, I mean, they can do that in high school still, but elementary school, it's it's almost non-existent now. But I used to take kids up to Cypress Lake. We'd go canoeing on the Grand River and just, you know, anything to kind of hook them on uh, my passions, history, the outdoors, that kind of thing. And plus I'm an avid reader. I don't know. You can see behind me, I've got huge library down here in the basement. So, uh, you know, teaching English was also a huge, huge thing for me. So I, I was very fortunate. I got to uh, do both those things most of my career and yeah, really loved it. Loved the kids. It was a great career. And then retired in 2019, which was very smart on my part. <laughs> Good time. COVID kicked in. Yeah. Yep. And the, you knew the, the pandemic next, was coming. Yeah. I, I, I just sensed it was time to go. You know? so. mm -hmm. And so did the love of history inspire your backcountry adventures or backcountry adventures inspired the love of history or it was just. Uh, I think actually the history had a big role to play in the, in getting into canoeing. I mean, uh, when you're teaching fur trade and voyagers and stuff, and you don't canoe, which I didn't when I started, you know, you're kind of left. I mean, you're excited about talking. It was a great topic. So then why not start doing it? And, you know, it, the more you read, the more you uh, realize, I mean, you get up into Killarney and the French River, you're starting to actually paddle the same routes. That, the routes yep, yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you go down the old Voyager Channel and, you know, you're exactly right where those huge Canot de Maitre went. And uh, it's it's pretty awe-inspiring. So, uh, yeah, it all kind of worked together. I My mother uh, was a huge history buff, and she got me into Grey Owl uh, when I was very young, very, very young, and uh, told me about this guy, and uh, I started reading his books, and, you know, that it, it's just it's a very rich history that we have uh, you know, with the Aboriginal people and, and that if you go canoeing anywhere in Ontario, you've got this, I don't know if you're from, this is a pretty, it's an analogy I use. It, it, it doesn't work for everybody, but uh, there's a certain type of medieval manuscript they used to write on on vellum, of course. And what would happen is vellum is very expensive. So they, they'd get an old manuscript that nobody wanted to read anymore. They'd scrape it and write a new manuscript on top. And what happens is over the years, the old one, if it's not done right, will bleed back through and you can actually read what was underneath it. It's called a palimpsest. And I've always thought of the canoe routes or many of the canoe routes here in Ontario that way. I mean, you go to the French River and you have today's conditions, it's a park. You go back a hundred years, it was an industrial zone, logging. You go back another hundred years, it was a fur trade center. Through all that, you have the Aboriginal story and, and claims and you know connection to the land. And then prior to that, it was uh, you know the the explorers. Oh, they really weren't exploring anything. People were already there, but the first Europeans to come in. I mean, you're paddling down the same river that Champlain and Brule and came down, and and then 
you go back further and you you have the aboriginal presence uh, and they've been there since the glaciers retreated 8000 years ago so i mean all of those layers are still there really hard to see some of them the industrial is pretty obvious still a town site there there's still uh, rusting machinery but uh, you know the aboriginal presence is sort of slowly perhaps coming back uh, so it, there's all that that you can experience and read in that one area and then you know go to Killarney you've got group of seven you've got voyageurs you've got aboriginal people you've got you know the history of the town site and the fishing industry that was there I mean there's all those layers uh, and so I, I've always uh, found that the canoeing, you could experience it on so many levels. I mean, you just go for the weekend and just sort of get away from the city and fish and whatever. But if you want to, there's all those other layers you can dig into. I mean, if you think about it, I, I, I was sitting by a lake in Halliburton this past fall and I'm solo canoeing. I was the only one around. And you look and you think that lake has fish in it and has had continuously had fish in it since the glaciers retreated, those fish managed somehow to work up the spillways, work up the rivers, connecting the lakes while the water levels were higher. Then they got isolated in that lake and their ancestors, their prodigy are still there. 8,000 years of continuous ecological, it's like seeing beside a, a pyramid or a museum or something. I mean, it just a we think of it as well you know there's fish in the lake and that's today but i mean there's been fish in that lake for you know millennia and they're they're all connected and the the snapping turtles the otters i mean the the that ecosystem with interruptions and changes climate and so on has been continuously there for so long that it's uh it's pretty awe-inspiring to be able to experience that. i mean you know i live in kitchener not much history in Kitchener. There's some human history. There's some Aboriginal history. But, I mean, you really got to work to find, uh, you know, it's not as easy as if you go to the French River and things are still detectable and, and ex you, you can experience it in in such a meaningful and realistic way. So, yeah, I would say that the love of history was a big part of me getting into the, the backcountry uh, canoeing and, and camping and then winter camping. I think winter camping was actually just a uh, brief burst of insanity on my part. I don't know <laughs> what uh, got me into that. I actually had a buddy phone me up and he said, uh, you mentioned one time you might like winter camping. I got a hot tent for sale. Do you want it? Okay. I'd never gone. I had no idea. So, and then I thought, how do I learn? How do you know? I, I didn't know there, I didn't even realize there were Facebook pages about winter camping. So I thought, I don't know. I run a canoe symposium. Why don't I start a winter camping symposium? I'll learn lots. So I did. And then that, so that's how I got into that. And, uh, yeah, it's worked out really well. Cool. Really Get people well. to come and teach you. Sure. Why not? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm <laughs> sitting there listening to the same speakers everybody else does. So I listened to Jim Baird talk about hiking solo across Northern Quebec. And while I may never do that, okay, I know I will never do that, <laughs> but, um, you know, you pick up a little tip here and a little thing there and, oh, gee, I didn't know you could do that. And, and then you listen to, you know, somebody else and they talk about, you know, you listen to Martin Pine and you think, okay, you know, that's how you dress and that's how you build a snow shelter. And you listen to Christina and that's how you build your own winter tent. And 
you know, and you pick things up from everybody. And that's really, and then you go and try it and inevitably fail miserably, but <laughs> like, at, like at Mew Lake, but you learn, you know, that's and, exactly and, the phrase and you move head. on. <laughs> fail miserably. Fail miserably. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I've you done, learn. you learn. From yeah, you learn. Absolutely. Uh, Christina was nice enough to share some uh, uh, a crown land uh, with me that I could hot tent on. And so I ended up doing my first solo. I have a little snow trekker solo tent and, you know, had that experience. And uh, I've done that a couple times now and uh, very labor intensive, but, uh, you know, a lot of fun and always busy when you're by yourself. There's always something to do. You know, it's a, no downtime when you're uh, solo winter camping. So, you know, I've tried that. I've learned to go in with my uh, buddies. I'll take them in occasionally. Uh, actually, tomorrow morning at uh, 7 o'clock, we're heading for uh, for Bruce National, Cypress Lake. Uh, you know, it's not backcountry, but uh, at that time of year, it's pretty uh, pretty isolated, and you get down on the coast, and it's a pretty, pretty special environment. So I'm looking forward to that. Minus 19, apparently, tomorrow with the wind chill up there because they have 70 kilometer an hour gusts uh, expected. So we're going to have to dress warm to go hiking down on Georgian Bay. That's for sure. Well, I think looking even, forward to it. I think even here in Toronto, they're calling, I, I don't think it's tonight. I think tomorrow the night they're with wind chill, they're calling for minus 12, which is, yeah. I mean, we, we yeah. had rain today. So exactly. It's all, you know, the new normal, right? It's how right. do you, how, how do you dress for that? Obviously layers, but I mean, how many layers do you have to go? It's supposed to, uh, feel like minus 21 up there tomorrow night overnight so you know we we leave kitchener and it's supposed in a, to in a feel, feel like <laughs> minus six but it's really minus one and you get to tobermory and it's going to feel like minus 19 so you know yeah preparation right you gotta you gotta have the right equipment and know how to use it so it's all wow. learning experience and there's, sure. there's part of the, the thing about winter camping, uh, you know, I mean, uh, zero experience, but watched a bazillion videos and took uh, Christina's course. The Polk, is that what it's called? Yeah. The, the mm -hmm. Basically a hardcore toboggan type deal to mm -hmm. lug all that gear in and you're lugging, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure that you try to pack light, but there's, there's kind of no way around it. So you're, yeah, you're there's no way around everything, it. everything with you. Mm -hmm. Kitchen sink, the whole, <laughs> the whole thing. Um, yeah, and I use a freight toboggan, which is 10 feet, but narrower, 15 inches. And uh, yeah, you struggle, you struggle to get every, you know, unless you're an ultralight type, right? Like there are people who go in and they'll just take a tarp or a little hammock camp, cold tent. Yep. Can't, no, I'm not doing that. So, uh, you know, by the time you got a stove and a canvas tent and the poles for the tent, uh, you're already looking at some significant weight. Uh, so if you have any hills to go up, you know, yeah, yeah. you're working. You're working. That's a slog. It's and a, if it's not packed it, snow and. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But if it is packed snow, the toboggan just wants to go the other way. Oh, of course. Really, really fast. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, they're incredibly uh, slippery and pull really well on flat ground. But the minute you try and go uphill with them, yeah, you're you're really fighting gravity. So, you know, what do you do? Do you unload half and sort of like a portage, take half it up, go back for the rest? I've toyed with the idea of having a, sort of a short, I have a wooden toboggan sitting behind me. I don't know if it's down there on the ground. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, that I'm going to, I picked up off 
Kijiji for like, I don't know, 10 bucks. Uh, I'm thinking of cutting it so it's it's like a little caboose. And I'll just put the stove or something heavy on that, attached it to the back of my other one. And that way, when I get to a hill, I can unhitch one. Detach it. Yep. Oh, yeah. So who knows? It's all problem solving. Yeah. It, it, in in a previous life, I used to do do a lot of backcountry skiing, and we had skins for our, yes. our skis, which were, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, it, it, it going forward, it mm-hmm. folded all the all the material so that it slid relatively well, and mm-hmm. then and then when you started to push backwards on it, it would flip the material down and turn it into something that gave you grip, so you could ch- 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 right. you know alternate feet. I, I'm surprised they don't have something. Well, I mean, we're we're either wearing snowshoes or we're wearing ice crampons, I guess you'd call them, or you've got your you know good old Ontario snowmobile boots at least. Right. So it's what, not so yeah. much your footing that's the problem; it's the toboggan. Well, that's what I'm saying for the bottom of the sled. Oh, for the bottom of the sled, the skins on yeah, that, right? I actually, uh, you may, I don't know if you remember, there briefly was a type of cross country ski that sort of had fish scales under it. Uh, yes, where it slid that. in one direction, but if it tried to go the other, the other direction, yes. there was a ridges cut kind of. Uh, I taught, taught, I'll say that loosely, cross-country skiing to uh, kids at Albion Hills Outdoor right. at Center way back in the 80s. That's where I met Kevin. He and I were roommates. And uh, I mean, I had no idea how to cross-country ski, but you know, I was the adult, so I was supposed to teach them. But we had those. They were waxless, I guess, uh, yes. kind of skis. So yeah, something like that might work. I don't know. I, I think that it's a perhaps a question of what materials are available, but you're right. There there should be something. I know some people have taken along pulleys and uh, you know, hundred feet of rope and they go up and find a tree and you know, use and drag it mechanic up. mechanical advantage, go up and walk downhill and have the toboggan go past you going the other way. You know, something like that would work, certainly on a short, steep slope. Uh or unload, carry half of it up, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, there, there's always a way. There's always a way. It's just a question of uh, are we, will we have any snow? That's sort of been the biggest headache uh, lately. I mean, uh, until you get a certain amount of snow, you can't pull through the bush because there's too many down trees and branches that aren't buried. And so you're tripping all the time or you have to go around and becomes a maze, it becomes impossible. So uh, yeah, backcountry has been a bit of a challenge. Uh, and that's why we're going to Bruce National. It's like a way to get winter camping, hot tenting without going backcountry. But fingers crossed. Uh, cool. Well, and that there's an interesting one. I, I'm fairly, uh, I, I pretty much only deal with Ontario parks. But, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't even realize the national parks would do, did, did backcountry. I didn't know that they did winter stuff at all. Yeah. So have you been to Bruce national ever Cypress Lake? And no, I no. haven't. So it is, it is a landscape that is world-class. Like if it existed in Greece or something, the super rich would flock there, but here it is in Ontario. And it, when I first went there, I, I went there in high school on a geography overnight, couple nights field trip and it 1977 maybe and uh it was wild back then like it 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 truly felt like you were in the middle of nowhere these days it's gotten a little overrun in the summer and it's 
know, they've widened all the paths and put in washroom facilities because they have to even in the out of the way places and so on. But um, anyway, they have backcountry camping that you can book right on the shore of Georgian Bay. And now they have it available in the winter time. Uh, it would be truly a hike to get to like the conditions. Uh, it's often you're walking on rock and if it gets icy, I don't know what you would do, but people use it and I more power to them. I admire them a lot. Um, and it's cold tenting because there are no fires in the back country uh, loud. And so uh, you have to take a stove and, you know, you, you don't have a hot tent. You don't have a hot tent stove. Uh, so it, it's hardcore. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I think I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's for young people. Okay, cool. Young and foolish or just young? Oh, young and adventuresome. <laughs> Adventures. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah more chutzpah than I have. That's for <laughs> Exactly. Sure. Tell me what a symposium is. Define a symposium. Yeah, I don't know. I was looking for a name. I did <laughs> seminar. I don't know. So basically what happens is uh, I start out in a theater. And so I just brought in speakers and, and sold some tickets. And I, I was inspired by the Wilderness Canoe Symposium. I guess that's where I stole the name. Uh, that's been running in Toronto for 40 years, 50 years now. I don't know, a long time. Right. Uh, but their their focus is uh, true northern, sort of northern rivers, north of the tree line, uh, people doing the Thalon and, you know, up in northern Quebec and so on. And I thought uh, after I went and saw a great, great day, uh, they actually run Friday night and then all day Saturday. It's quite a marathon. And they'll have, you know, 16, 18, 20 speakers. I don't know, quite wow. a few, half hour each. I thought, well, there's room for people to talk about Algonquin and Killarney and, you know, Wabakimi and, you know, all the great parks that are further south. Uh, that The majority of people who canoe never go. I mean, I was fortunate enough to do the Nahani myself, but, you know, most of us just don't have the resources, i.e. the money to do that kind of thing or can get the time off work or, the time, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right. So as a teacher, you know, I had the time. Uh, so I was fortunate to go anyway. So they focus on those kind of trips. And I thought, wow, there's room to do something that focuses on the sort of closer to home. So I started up in a theater, 150 seats, and uh, then moved to a 400 seat theater. And now recently due to uh, changes in what they use the theater for at the university, I had to, uh, find a different venue. And so now we have a basically a four or 500 seat. I don't know, it's a holds quite a bit theater, but it's expanded. So we have uh, still the same small number of speakers of four or five, but we have vendors come in, we have nonprofits and they set up tables. And so we'll have the Quetico Foundation and Friends of Tomogamy and the Turtle Rescue people and just all kinds of uh, people who, uh, you know, we just invite them to come and set up a booth and talk to the to the audience during the breaks. Uh, we had a, a group that organizes at Mew Lake. They uh, they invite women only. Uh, they call themselves Freezing Women, and they go in November to uh, Mew. They've gone uh, this past November was their fourth, I think, and they were up to fifty. They had 50 wow. more or less participants. That's That's oh, awesome. Fantastic. So I said, hey, come on. Like I only learned about them in September. I said, come on and, you know, set up a table and we'll 
push everybody in your direction. And whenever people ask questions about winter camping, as you say, you got to talk to these ladies at Freezing Women. You know, they're uh, they're the ones who are introducing women to hot tenting, either car camping or backcountry or whatever you want to do. So anyway, that's that's part of what we do, and we get some gear uh vendors in and uh people selling sleds you know whiskey jack uh, uh sleds and so on come so we have a, a vendors sort of area and we have our speakers and we call this symposium ah call it whatever you want <laughs> no it's a good it's like just <laughs> fun day <laughs> that's what interesting because nobody yeah. else says symposium you know it's a, yeah a, well a, and we still talk show. about do i have like two symposiums or do I have two symposia or what? <laughs> no one knows. You know? the plural. So, yeah, yeah, I have no idea. Nor do I want to know. That way I can just have fun with it. So cool. yeah, so so we've this will be the 11th. Uh, we missed uh, one year during the uh, COVID and we did a virtual. Uh, so we missed two live ones. But uh, we started in 2012 and uh, and this will be our 11th. No, it doesn't make sense. We started in 2011. Uh, this will be our 11th. And then uh, we started up the winter camping one and got three in and then COVID hit. And we didn't do virtual or anything there. It's a smaller sort of select group. So we just put it on pause and then we uh, start up again, had one last November. So we've done four of those. So I guess all together, I'm at 15 or something like that. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It keeps, keeps you out of trouble. It does. Keeps me busy. Yeah. Keeps me, uh, yeah, out of trouble. Exactly. Uh, I, well, I can't imagine. I mean, having both been on uh, on Dennis's show, I mean, it, it, it's a thing that he he reiterates often enough. It's it's stunning just how much work it takes to to do all the things that we we all do. Like it's people go, yeah, cool, and I showed up, and you know, because you know, I'm sure it only took a phone call to get you know wh- whoever the 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 polk guys in and the the tent guys in, and yeah, no, it didn't. It took forty seven no. emails. Each. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, as I often say to people, like I invite, I send out 10 feelers and then I get four or five speakers, but all of a sudden I get seven speakers and I have to go, okay, well, hang on a sec now. Uh, Too many of you said yes. And okay, I like you better than I like you. So I'll pretend you answered (laughs) first. And I don't know. Uh, It's it's just, yeah, it's a lot of work. I have a gentleman, Matt Olson. I don't know if you know Matt. He, uh, volunteered out of the goodness of his heart four years ago or so five years ago maybe he said uh why don't i take your social media off your hands and so he's come in and done that and then he became the vendor liaison so i can focus on the speakers and the tickets and uh, that kind of thing and and i host for i'm desperately looking for another host so that i could just enjoy the day but uh nobody seems to want to step up and do that (laughs) job so uh yeah i'm still doing that too but no it's it's a wonderful thing and it's all about networking and and getting the community together and you know you you see people you don't see any other time of the year just like at the outdoor adventure show but i mean this is a little more intimate uh we're all sort of in one place for the whole day there's all these distractions. We all sit and listen to somebody. We all go to lunch at the same time, talk to everybody. You know, it, it's kind of a more uh, more of a network thing. Cool, cool. Okay, so th- we're going to bring you back in the fall if you're amenable to it, and, and we'll talk way more about the symposiums. Hey, symposia, anytime. Symposia, <laughs> very good. That's it for us for today. Thank you so much to our special guest, David Bain. I'm Pamela. 
I'm still Tim. And we are from supergeekcamping.com. Please do reach out to us on all the social media. And our email address is hi at supergeekcamping.com. That's hi at supergeekcamping.com. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.